Father, thank you for this time we can be together here this morning. Thank you for your grace, your mercy, your love for us. Thank you for the kindness and the compassion that you've given toward us in Jesus Christ, not counting our trespasses against us, but instead treating us as if we are perfectly righteous in Jesus Christ. And thank you that you have made us your children. You have brought us to yourself. You have brought us into, uh, into the family of God, that you have given us the knowledge of the truth. You brought us from darkness into light. And we thank you for the particular mercy of bringing us here this morning to gather with your people and to be instructed and built up and to worship you. And we pray that as we're here, we would do those things and that you would strengthen us to serve you faithfully. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, uh, well, we are continuing in 2 Timothy this morning. I want to uh, thank, thank Ryan for his uh, work over the past few weeks and uh, going through chapter 1 with us. So we are going to look at chapter 2. Starting this morning, 2 Timothy chapter 2, if you would turn there and we will read the first seven verses uh, and then focus this morning on just the first two verses of that chapter. So First uh, Timothy, excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 2 verses 1 through 7, Paul says this to Timothy, you therefore my son be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses Entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life, so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. As we arrive at chapter 2, uh, the, uh, this of course comes on the heels of quite a bit of instruction and encouragement for Timothy already in chapter 1. Just before we jump into this text, uh, what are some of the key things that have been going on so far as Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1? What are some of the themes uh, what are some of the instructions that have been given to him to bring us up to speed as to what Paul has in mind when he gives these instructions to Timothy in chapter 2? What has he been talking about and what is he telling Timothy to do? Yes, be faithful and not be ashamed of the gospel. He repeats that a lot, doesn't he? Uh, not being ashamed, verse 8, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me as prisoner. Verse 12, he says, for this reason I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed. And then he even says in verse 16 that Onesiphorus often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. Uh, you you kind of get the hint throughout this. Uh, it's a pretty strong hint, isn't it, that Timothy might have been tempted either internally or through his circumstances, or uh, both, most likely, uh, well, most certainly through his circumstances, which were very real toward this, but also there seems to be um, a matching, almost certainly a matching temptation on the inside of Timothy to shrink back and to be ashamed of Paul, of the gospel, and to therefore uh, abandon or at least reduce his faithfulness to gospel ministry because of that. But instead, he's supposed to be faithful, as Marvin pointed out. Yeah, what else is Paul talking about? What's he telling him? 
yeah, fan the flame of the gift that's in him. Yeah, there is a recognition on Paul's part that Timothy's got something, isn't there? And it's not just Paul's hunch, but Timothy has proved himself faithful over the years. He has a gift of God. He, Paul was there. It was in him through the laying on of Paul's hands. He knows what Timothy is capable of, but it seems like maybe he's not utilizing it to its maximum capacity. So yeah, stir that thing back up. Don't let the fire die out. Good. What else? Yeah, guard that which has been entrusted. That's right. So he, uh, he says in verse 12, the concept of being able to guard what I have entrusted to him, uh, referring here, it seems, to his life and his salvation and really everything that he's entrusted to Christ, just as Ryan pointed out a couple of weeks ago. And then, uh, yeah, verse 14, to guard the treasure which has been entrusted to you. And that is very important for Paul, to protect the message of the gospel, to not let it get corrupted not let it get attacked and overcome. So yeah, that's there. Good. Anything else? What else is going on in 2 Timothy 1? Yes. Yes, exactly. There is a purpose, there's grace, so he, and he granted it in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now it has been revealed. Paul specifically says in verse 11 that he was appointed as a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. Um, Timothy has been entrusted by Paul with the responsibility to carry out much of that same ministry. He's not an apostle as Paul was, though he could be considered, I guess, a little a apostle if you want to make that distinction. He was one who was sent out along with Paul. Timothy had not seen the risen Christ, so he was not a, uh, a formal apostle in that sense, but he was one who went out and was sent out with the message, so he was uh, in that way. But nonetheless, Timothy is supposed to carry on the legacy of Paul by teaching. And that's what we're going to get to when we get to 2 Timothy chapter, uh, chapter 2. This comes on the heels of, uh, in verses 15 and 16, a set of contrasts that we saw last week. Uh, Phagellus and Hermogenes in verse 15 uh, turned away from Paul. And in verses 16 through 18, we find a lesson of Onesiphorus, a, an object lesson uh, on the good side of things, who didn't just not turn away from Paul, but he actually went toward Paul. He sought him out eagerly, verse 17, and found him. And he was not ashamed, as verse 16 says, of Paul's chains. So there are two contrasting examples that he has just given. So in light of all of this, Timothy's gift, the purpose that God has for Timothy, um, Paul's instruction, his concern over keeping the word of God and protecting the word of God, and then the difference, these, these two distinct ways of responding to the gospel and God's messenger who is faithful, uh, he turns to Timothy now and turns the focus upon him and tells him what to do. And he says, you therefore, my son. Uh, he can't help but highlight the close connection to himself. He has this close personal connection. And of all people... Timothy ought to be the one to do everything he can not to abandon faithfulness to gospel ministry. He has been with Paul. He has seen Paul. He's received the message directly from him. He has this close personal relationship with him, and he has been entrusted with the gospel message. And so he is to act in light of that. You, therefore, my son. 
And so he says, therefore, meaning, let's take into account all that we have said in chapter 1, all that you have heard from me so far, and there are some instructions that I have for you in light of what you have already heard. And there are two that we're going to look at in verses 1 and 2, one in each verse. Uh, Very simply, in verse 1, the instruction is to draw on the strength of the Lord, or to be strong in the strength of Christ. Draw on the strength of the Lord. He says, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Uh, in chapter 1 Timothy 1, verse 12, Paul says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Paul recognized that the source of his strength for ministry, being able to preach the gospel, was Jesus Christ. That Christ was the one who strengthened him. Uh, what kind of strength then is in view here, when you see be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus, what kind of strength is he talking about? How would you describe this strength to someone? Is this like lifting 600 pounds in a gym? Of course not. Is it strength to fight somebody or to run a long way or really fast? No, of course not. Yeah, Patrick. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, yeah, faithfulness to say what's true, strength. Uh, yes. What else? What is involved in the strength? Mm-hmm. Perseverance. Yep. 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 What else? Hmm. Yeah, reliance upon Christ. Yep. Okay. Yeah, and this, this is the, the strength that's required to... Uh, endure, yes, to persevere. It is a, a moral and spiritual strength. So it is a strength to continue to do what is right in the face of opposition, uh, in the face of all kinds of incentives to shrink back. All kinds of reasons why Timothy might say, I'm not going to do this anymore. Uh, I'm not going to be faithful. I'm going to go off with those other guys with Phagellus and Hermogenes, or later on Demas, who has loved this present world. You know, I'm just going to stay out of the fight. And yeah, I I still believe this message, but, you know, maybe I'm not going to be so involved in this. Or maybe I'm not going to be so uh, rigidly biblical. You know, if I can just take these one or two things that this particular audience here doesn't want to hear, and I can kind of stay away from that. Or if I can not oppose the exact point that, you know, the Roman Empire at this time doesn't want me to oppose. Or maybe I can kind of... get back a little bit from what the Jews don't like me saying or these people don't like me saying, then maybe then I can avoid the suffering and the stigma and the shame. But he says, no, you need to have the strength to continue to do this. This is strength for faithful ministry on behalf of Christ where you have to just endure and continue to go and to carry out your mission and your task uh, despite really all of the opposition that's there. And of course, we could come up with a number of ways to picture this. Uh, I'm reminded of a trip that I took when I was in youth group uh, a long time ago. We had a trip where we drove to Texas and they, uh, there was a tour bus that we got. The owner of the, or uh, the, the driver, the bus driver, I think had just recently either started or started to work for a company. They had a tour bus come available last minute with all the, uh, the fold-down beds and the TVs everywhere. You guys been on one of those? You know what I'm talking about? Not just the seats that face forward, but like, you know, three layers of beds to sleep in at night and all that. 
Anyway, we watched a movie on there. I can't remember what the movie was, so I'm not endorsing the movie. But uh, in this movie, the guy had to, he had to run the gauntlet. You know what I'm talking about? And pe- these, oh, there are all these things, these obstacles or whatever that he had to plow through. So um, we uh, kind of adopted that mentality uh, after watching the movie on the bus. And anytime someone had to go from the back of the bus up to the front of the bus to go to the bathroom or whichever way it was, we made them run the gauntlet. And uh, all our pillows came out and our bags and everything. And we would just attack these people, you know. So you had to survive this gauntlet to get all the way from one end of the bus to the other. But people were undeterred because they had a mission, right? They had to get to the bathroom or they had to go talk to somebody or whatever it was. And, and this is kind of the point that Timothy is supposed to be strong enough to actually endure that. You're, you're not just going to say, well, it's not worth it, or I'm going to quit, or I'm going to get knocked down and not get back up. No, you're going to go through that, and you're going to take hits, and you're going to get tired, and you're not going to want to continue the thing in and of itself, but you have a mission and a purpose. And so you have to be strong. This is what he's talking about here. He wants him to be strong. Now, when we think about grace in the Bible, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you think about grace? Unmerited favor. Yeah, that's a, great, that's a great short definition. Unmerited favor. And where does that usually, what manifestation of that unmerited favor is maybe the most common understanding of what grace is? How does God show us that unmerited favor? Yeah, he forgives us of our sins. That's right. And that is, of course, uh, the major way that grace is used, in particular in the New Testament with regard to salvation. But it's not the only way. And of course, and many of you know this, the word grace is often used to describe in the New Testament the work of the Holy Spirit strengthening us. That Christ, through his spirit who dwells in us, strengthens us by his grace. And it refers to empowerment uh, really in two areas. One has to do with what we call spiritual gifts and with doing with uh, doing what God enables us to do toward the body of Christ and serving one another. But also it refers to uh, just carrying out what God wants us to do, doing what his will is, actually obeying the scriptures and uh, working by his grace to overcome sin and to pursue righteousness. We read about this in, for example, uh, Romans uh, chapter 6, which talks about that, that you are not under law but under grace. And that's why sin won't be your master. It kind of confuses people when they hear that. They're like, what do you mean? If I'm just going to be forgiven, how does that connect to sin not being my master? But what that means is that your entire dominion is under the realm of grace, which not only includes the forgiveness of sins, but also the strengthening to do what is right. So Timothy is supposed to be strengthened by this grace that is in Christ Jesus. How does this happen then? Well, the first thing is you have to be actually, what does it say about Christ? In Christ. There's no way for Timothy to have what he needs to do ministry if he himself is not in Christ. And how do you come to be in Christ? Well, when you're saved, you are joined to him by faith, by virtue of the fact that the Holy Spirit baptizes you into Christ Jesus. And you then become united with him. This is what we call union with Christ. You are in Christ. You're united with him spiritually. And a whole bunch of stuff comes along with that. But one of those means is that you now... Uh, that you now are connected with him and have the ability to draw upon the strength that is in him. Uh, Then, how would it happen that you would be strengthened by his grace? Well, what does the scripture say about this? Can Can anybody think of anything? How do you become strengthened by his grace? How are you to be strong and to have this ongoing strengthening taking place that comes from the grace of Christ?
Through faith, yes, okay. So we walk by faith, that's right. That's, we do this through faith, absolutely. What else is involved? Yes. Right, so we, we take action, we obey, we're right. We submit to what Christ says, that's right. What else? Yeah, we are to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. How do we do it? We put on the full armor of God. That's right. And that's how we have that. Uh, Acts 20, 32, Paul talks to the Ephesian elders and says, Now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So the, uh, the word of God's grace strengthens us, knowing the word of God. 1 Timothy 4, 6 Paul tells Timothy that he is to be constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. In uh, 1 Corinthians 15.10, just talks about this concept of grace. It says, By the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. So here is Timothy. This is how he's supposed to draw upon the strength and receive this strength. But what good is that strength if you never use it? And here he is saying, be strong. And the implication is actually exercise this strength. Put it to use. Don't just kind of have this in theory, but then shrink back from the fight. But actually withstand opposition. Actually fight against error. Actually do what God says. So in order to actually do this, um, Timothy needs to do many things. This includes he needs to uh, weather the hostilities of people who are against the gospel. He needs to be willing to take those hits. He needs to overcome his own personal fears. Verse 7 says, God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. But Timothy would be tempted to be afraid. Uh, He needs to endure through pain and unpleasantness. And, of course, he needs to reject the examples of faithless people like Phagellus and Hermogenes that he's already seen in verse 15. In other words, he's not just continuing to exist as a strong person. He is supposed to serve by that strength. So what does this look like for you? This is, you're not Timothy. Um, you are not specifically set apart for this exact same role. But what does it look like for you to have to be strong in the grace of Christ And what are the scenes where that would happen for you as opposed to uh, shrinking back, being ashamed, and uh, not being strong in Christ's grace? Where does that show up? How do you have to be strong and to use this strength? Where does this come into play in your life? Yeah, Ron. Yeah, so like a work, yeah, see, workplace or whoever, people are talking bad things, and then you don't just kind of abstain, but you actually look for opportunities to, to uh, speak about that in a way that's Christ-honoring. I mean, yeah, he, Ephesians 5 speaks to that very thing, doesn't it? It says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but what? Rather, expose them. Yeah, 
So don't get involved. That's part of the strength. But then also uh, expose them. Now, what that looks like is going to be different setting by setting. But have the, the courage and the strength to, to try to do that. Yeah. What else? What does it look like to be strong? Patrick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 Timothy might have been tired. He'd been doing this a long time, you know, but yeah, don't just, uh, don't just quit because of fatigue or even boredom or anything like that. Yeah, keep going, keep going. Good. Um, okay, well, I want you to just remember the strength that is available in Christ and our need to be strengthened. If we're going to serve the way that we need to serve, this is vital, that we would be strengthened by Christ's grace, that we take in his word, we walk by faith, we commit to acting, and we do what he says. All right. Um, the other instruction that we want to look at this morning, we want to spend a little bit more time upon this, a few more things that we need to extract, uh, is Timothy is told to pass along the truths of the gospel. So he is to draw on the strength of the Lord. This is going to kind of cover uh, everything that he is supposed to do overall. It's preparing him for ministry. But he is supposed to pass along the truths of the gospel. So verse 2 he says, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So the question for you, where do faithful preachers and teachers come from? What creates them? Okay, other faithful preachers and teachers. Is that always the case? In one sense, shamefully, it is... Not the case that it has historically always happened that way. Uh, I think it's pretty clear here that what you're saying is the way it should be. This is, and in many cases, this is the way that it does happen. And there are problems when it doesn't. Um, but unfortunately, the church does not always do things the way that God uh, prescribes them to be done. And therefore, there are some difficulties that come. Um, whose job is it to ensure that there are such people as this? The church's job, okay? Who do people think uh, the job belongs to? Is that seminaries, colleges? Yeah, anything else? Patrick? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you, you get a call or a particular anointing and tell, yeah, I'm gifted, I'm called. That's, that's it. What else do I need? I mean, the Lord is upon me. Um, it's reflective of that attitude. I, I was in a jail, uh, not as a prisoner, but preaching uh, a number of years ago. And sometimes we would have to share with a uh, with the church that was uh, of some different theological persuasions. And I was in the room. Uh, There's a little classroom setting in this particular area. And this guy, I was in there kind of, I think we were trading off. Either way, he was speaking and I was listening. And it, this was not an enjoyable time. But he takes his Bible, he goes, and he's, he reads something. He goes, and I've got this word that, that the Lord has laid upon me. And he just goes and sets the Bible down on the table and talked for the rest of the time without even looking at it. What in the world is this? But this is the way people think about preaching or about hearing from God 
And it's true as well in terms of how it actually comes about. God has called me. I feel it. I feel convicted about this. I feel convinced. I'm compelled. I can't do anything else. I have this constraint upon me. Well, there's a lot more to it than that. And you can say that that's from God, but unless it has actually been tested, and unless you actually are qualified and trained in the right way, then you can say that all day long. But all you have at this point is, at best, a gift in waiting that needs to be cultivated and not one that's ready for action. Um, so where do then most preachers, teachers today come from? How do they get to be in that position? Kind of talked about it. Colleges, seminaries, anointing. What, how does it happen? Where do they get the stuff that they teach? Maybe they learned it in a classroom. Maybe they learned it in a seminary. Um, a whole lot of self-study, which is not a bad thing in and of itself. Uh, a lot of YouTube theology. And again, very glad to have things online. But how do you know where you're getting that from? Uh, how do you know the, uh, the credibility of the person who is giving you those particular things to be handed down? Paul is the one who has given these things to Timothy. He says, these are the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. In chapter 3, verse 10 and 11, he says, now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and suffering, such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, all the way back in Acts 16, uh, when... Paul was, actually this is even before Acts 16, so Timothy must have seen it before he even joined on with Paul. But we're talking about 15, 20, 25 years that Timothy has followed Paul. He knows he's the real deal. He's not just learning from some guy that says, follow me and I'll make you a great preacher. He's, he knows that this stuff, it's been tested in the fire. And it's been found faithful and Paul has been found faithful. Uh, either way here, the, the implication of this is that it is... Um, it is the job and the responsibility of people who are within the local church doing these things now themselves to entrust other people with the ability and the responsibility to do this also. Think about it. Uh, what are the consequences if all the people like Paul and Timothy were to fade off the scene with no one to replace them? What would that look like for a church? What would it look like? What would that bring about? Fall apart like most churches do today? Yeah, when that happens, yeah, bad news happens. Yeah, yeah, because. Yeah, you would hope that they would, but what if they hadn't? And if it's just these guys, these are the guys that know how to teach. These are the guys that can preach. That's it. Well, what do you do? Well, you would hope that there's someone somewhere at another church who could come and who could help with that. Um, but there's no guarantee about that. And uh, by the way, then you're taking it away from that particular place. So who is responsible to actually have a surplus, a net surplus of people who are able to preach and teach the word of God? Paul was someone who would train up guys, bring them alongside of him, and then be able to actually send them out to other places. Um, this is a helpful and a good thing. We can't allow this to just 
take place where there is nobody who can steward the responsibility of ensuring sound doctrine in the church. This is something that has to be done. Remember in chapter 1, there are two instructions in verses 13 and 14. Retain the standard of sound words and guard the treasure. Okay, so there's instructions to Timothy on one level that he needs to stay faithful himself. But that is not enough. It's not enough that Timothy would stay faithful. And I suppose that some of us might be tempted to be content with that, with just staying faithful. And that is a good thing. It is commanded. But some of us might be a little bit like King Hezekiah. Uh, maybe it was Josiah. I'm forgetting. Forgive me. Uh, one of the two kings who was told that there, I think it was Josiah actually, that there would be, um, no, it was Hezekiah. He says the, the destruction of Judah is going to come, but it's not during your lifetime. You know, you're gonna, it's going to come later on. You're going to be spared from this. And he said, well, at least there's going to be peace in my day. Now, it's hard to read exactly how happy he was with that. But uh, we surely can't think this way, can we? We can't just say, well, you know, as long as I'm here, if the church is good and it's cared for and it's the sound doctrine is there, then that's fine. I don't have to care about what comes next in the generations to come. We can't think that way. First of all, we should care about the people that come after us. But also, God tells us we need to make sure that we fulfill this responsibility. So he says, not only protect these things, but take these gospel truths, these scriptural truths, these sound doctrine and God's word that you have heard, and you need to pass them along to other people. And the way that he says to do this, he calls this entrusting. Entrusting. Entrust these to faithful men. Timothy, you have been entrusted with the gospel. Paul was entrusted with the gospel uh, as a steward. 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2 tells us this. And then he entrusted Timothy with this, and he is urging him now to fulfill that responsibility. And then he says going forward, you need to entrust other people with this. Uh, have, you, uh, have you ever had a possession or some kind of task that you, uh, you need done, but you kind of think about, who can do this for me? And, and it takes you a while to, to figure that out. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, give me an example of something like that. Something you're hesitant to, you know, just give to anyone. Yeah, Patrick. Yeah, house sitting, you got to, yeah, there, there's some things about them that need to be there. Yeah. What about you go on a trip, you know, you got, you got kids, you're going to leave them with somebody. You're just going to leave them with anybody. Hey, you know, I can leave them with these other kids because then they'll have a lot of fun, you know. Um, well, they might have fun for a little while, but you really wouldn't want to entrust your kids to other kids. Um, what about a, a vehicle? Would you take the car that you have right now and just let anybody in this room drive it? Hopefully that's not offensive to some in this room that might not be able to drive or trusted to drive. But the reality is some people are not fit to do that. Some people are not ready to drive. And that's okay. You wouldn't just give your house key to anyone. You wouldn't just give your passwords to anyone for online accounts or anything like that. There's just certain things that you would not um, just indiscriminately entrust to whoever might want to do it, be willing to do it. And the same is true in Timothy's case. 
He is to entrust these things that he has heard from Paul. But it's a treasure. The word of God is a treasure. Verse 14, the gospel is a treasure. He says, you have to be careful with this. You can't just give this to any old person and say, well, this is going to be fine. So who do these people have to be? Well, let's look and see what he says. There are a few things that he uh, says that such people need to be if they're going to be entrusted with this ministry and with these things in particular. Uh, First of all, he says they need to be men. They need to be men. A very unpolitically correct thing to say, of course. Uh, And this is not to say that Paul doesn't care what women do with respect to biblical instruction. In fact, in uh, Titus 2, Paul lays out that there are things that women should teach, teaching what is good, and that they are supposed to instruct younger women and to encourage them about particular types of uh, character and activity that they ought to have on display in their lives. This is also not to say that an older woman, or rather that a woman, can never in any way pass along any form of biblical encouragement or instruction in any particular setting. This is not it. But he is saying that there is a responsibility that these men have, and the reason is because in such places as 1 Timothy 2, Paul makes it very clear that the leadership of the church, the authority of the church, and then the the teaching responsibility of the male and female combined areas is to be led by men. This is not a cultural issue. It is a creation issue. He says in 1 Timothy 3 that Adam was created first and not Eve. And so, therefore, he emphasizes that there need to be men who are entrusted to do this. This is not because women cannot know theology. This is not because women do not need to know theology. This is not because women do not need to know these things. This is not because they can't take these truths and pass them along. Hopefully you understand that we want women to understand these things and to be taught these things. But when it comes to who needs to be trained in this way and entrusted with these things in particular, Paul has every opportunity to say faithful people, but he doesn't do that here. He says faithful men. So we want to make sure that we follow this example and learn from this because the Bible specifically instructs us to make sure that there are godly men who can hold fast the truth and teach it to others. And without this, the church is just doomed. It's toast. It's just a matter of time. There need to be faithful men. Now, what kind of men should we have? Um, We need to have capable, and I'm going to say this and explain what I mean. We need to have fat men, capable fat men, F-A-T, F-A-T. What does that mean? Faithful men, men who are available, and men who are teachable, faithful and available and teachable. FAT, little acronym for you. Once again, being a little bit un-PC this morning, hopefully you understand that no offense is intended, hopefully none is given. He does talk here about the fact that these men need to be faithful. Um, When he talks about faithfulness, he says, entrust these two faithful men. He is talking about two areas which really can't be separated from each other, but nonetheless need to be distinguished in uh, concept. One of these is in their character. And the other is in their activity. They need to be faithful in their character and in their activity. Meaning that they need to have faithfulness in their godliness. Meaning they don't contradict the word of God. They're not given to sin. They they are walking in righteousness. But also in their activity where they are faithful in doing what they are supposed to do. They can be trusted with things. They can be trusted with responsibility. 
So faithful men are men who are godly and they get done what they need to get done. Now, this doesn't mean that they have to be, you know, sort of hyper productivity gurus or something like that. But what it means is they just, they need to be able to be trusted. And they're trusted only insofar as they have uh, this character and this activity of actually doing what they're supposed to do in both ways. Um, What would faithfulness have meant for Timothy? Well, it would have meant guys who show up, guys who are there. They they know that um, he knows that they can be trusted to do things. They are not abandoning him or abandoning Paul, uh, but they are they are reliable. How can you find someone who is faithful? How can you identify someone who is faithful? Let me ask you. What kinds of things would you look for to know and to say that is a faithful man? What would identify and mark out such a person? Okay. They say they're going to do something. They actually do it. Yep. Yep. They make good on their word. What else? Okay. So, yeah, spending time with them actually can identify this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It'll expose one way or another. Are they faithful? Or are they not? Yep. What else? Okay. Can you go further on that? Because I, I like that, but can you go further in any way? If what? <laughs> oh, if their wife's driving them crazy. Okay. How do they? Re- oh, yeah. This is all hypothetical. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. So how do they respond? Uh, yeah, how do they respond in, in circumstances like that? Challenging circumstances. Yes. How else would you identify faithfulness? Patrick. Yep. Yep. Um, also, let me uh, just note faithfulness in um, what we might call little things. Um, you know, being, it, Jesus talked about he who is faithful in little will be faithful in much. And um, Sometimes people love the idea of being able to learn theology and to teach and to be in front of people and to be respected by people. You know, it's the James 3 thing where he says, don't, don't let a lot of you become teachers. Um, if you want to show your wisdom, what do you do? Show it with humility and the gentleness of wisdom. That's the way to do it. But too many people want to show by activity. They want to show that there's something. And he says, look... Um, You need to be willing to, if you're going to be faithful, that means that you are, if you're given something to do, then you don't just say, well, this isn't that important or, you know, this isn't that big of a deal. And you do it whether people are watching or not. So you show up for church, you step in to serve where you're needed, you you care about other people and their lives, you care about the things that they care about, Um, things that seem little to many but are very, very important. So he says you need to be faithful. Uh, the second part of this, the FA, the availability, this is a little bit more implied than explicitly stated here, but you cannot be taught or teach others and serve in this way if you're not available to do so. How can you do a role if you are literally not available? Now, sometimes we can't help being not available. There are just seasons where things happen. Uh, But 
where it's not a seasonal thing or if somehow it always seems to keep happening, uh, you got to ask, what is keeping me from availability for ministry on some level? And say, maybe, maybe there is something I need to think about. I mean, in this case, we need to recognize there is an urgent need for people who fit this description of being faithful men who can learn the word of God and teach others also. How are people going to be taught and uh, serve if they're not available? So uh, it's just a question that you should ask yourself. Um, what would life be like for, you know, if, if, what would the situation be like if, if these guys were not available to learn in this day? If Timothy looked around and he said, yeah, Paul, I want to teach faithful men. I want to entrust these things to others. I want them to be able to teach others also. And then he looked and he said, but uh, Paul, I've got a problem. I, <laughs> everybody's too busy, you know? Everybody's too busy. So on a personal level, just think, am I available to be taught and to teach other people and to serve in these ways now again this doesn't mean that you're going to have the schedule of a pastor it doesn't mean that you're going to devote yourself to that amount of time Uh, what it does mean is that you should just think about this need and say okay what can I do what can I do Um, availability is vital and of course this is true for all ministry is being able uh, being available to serve and then a third component here is this T Faithful, available, and teachable. Teachable. Not, not having the ability to teach, but being teachable. Meaning you're willing to learn things as taught from Scripture. If you want to be faithful in the church, you cannot be stubborn in your own doctrinal convictions in the sense that you're unwilling to let the Scriptures correct you. That you have done your thing on your own and that no one else ever gets a say in any of that. You can't be that way. We all have to ruthlessly submit our own ideas, our opinions, our beliefs, our preferences, our will to the authority of Scripture. And we need to be prepared. If we're going to be teachable, we have to be prepared to be challenged on this front. We have to hear people say, I saw this in the text. Is that really what it says? I I heard you say this. Is that actually what this means? We have to be teachable. This is very difficult because none of us, having come to a particular viewpoint about Scripture wants to have to acknowledge that we got something wrong in the word of God itself. And this is different than getting a math problem wrong. With math, you know, it's black and white, it's right and wrong. But if you get a math problem wrong, there's no moral component to that. But it's hard to admit when you're wrong in the scriptures because you recognize this this is God's word. I want to get it right. So it takes a lot of humility to be able to say, yeah, you know what? I see what you're saying, or I'm going to think about that, or I'm going to look at that again, or I'm going to review that, or, you know, maybe I need to say that a different way. But we need to be teachable. And someone who is not willing to go to Timothy and, or somebody like that and to say, yeah, I am going to be entrusted with what you are saying here from the scriptures. Um, that kind of person is going to have a hard time being faithful and being able to do the job. Now, this is not to say that Timothy himself was automatically right or had some kind of authority where he could just say, you need to believe this and don't question it. Because even Timothy is told later in this chapter that he has to work hard to get it right. Verse 15, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. He has to work at it. And there's the possibility for someone who knows all of this stuff, who has gotten his gospel straight from Paul and has been faithful and has been entrusted, it's possible for him to get something wrong. So no teacher is uh, inerrant. No teacher is incapable, or rather, maybe infallible would be a better way to put it, meaning they, that no teacher is beyond having the ability to get something wrong. And no question, uh, every human 
apart from Christ himself, has erred in some level on some point. Um, Probably, for most of us, way more often than we would know or would like. But the point is that even though there is this possibility of Timothy getting it wrong, there needs to be a willingness to learn on the part of people who are learning from him, and that always needs to be the case. Just as Timothy was willing to learn from Paul, so also others should be willing to learn and to have this truth passed down. Um, There is one more thing implied here, in in addition to these um, fat men, faithful and available and teachable, they, they need to be capable. They need to be able. Now, Really, though, what he says here, he says they need to be able to teach others also. But really, the, kind of the idea is if you entrust them in a certain way, for the most part, I think the assumption is they're going to be able to teach others. If they get it themselves, if they understand the truth themselves rightly, they're going to be able to teach other people also. And there may be uh, speaking skills or communication skills that would be valuable for people to have. And those, those are helpful things. And there may be times when someone really, really gets the truth, but they just don't have the ability to teach. But just in general, what he's saying is, when you entrust things to people, they're going to be able, if they understand it rightly, and if they understand it thoroughly enough, then there's going to be some degree where they can turn around and teach other people also. And that's the goal. He's not so much focused on speaking or communication ability here. He's just talking about the ability to grasp something and therefore to be able to pass it along. And a lot of times... If we don't have the ability to pass it along to someone else, we really need to stop and question whether we understand it rightly ourselves. If we understood it truly, then we would probably be able to communicate it to other people. Uh, Maybe not perfectly, some better than others, but nonetheless, um, well enough. Now, notice some implications from this. Um, What does this say about Timothy's activity and um, his... Uh, his decisions, and uh, what he should be doing in ministry. What is Timothy told to do here? What is he supposed to focus on, at least as one of his key responsibilities? Yeah, looking for these men, um, preparing these men to be in a position to receive this, right? Finding faithful men, but not just finding them, but even cultivating them as faithful men. You know, it's not just that somebody shows up and they're, hey, I'm a faithful man. There you go. Um, Timothy is, again, this is implied that if they're, if they're going to be faithful men, they've, they've got to become faithful somehow. And maybe they somehow show up at his door that way. But at the same time, where he says, all right, where you're not faithful You need to make sure that these guys are there. Um, Or at least it would be to his advantage to uh, work with them in order to help them to be faithful. But here he's told, I mean, he, he says, the things which you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, he does not say, just go and teach these to everybody. Now, he's supposed to teach them to everybody, but this is interesting because there is a particular focus on making sure that a certain select group of people really get this, that he entrusts them specifically to these people, particular people who fit these descriptions. So there are two things going on here. Um, One is that Timothy is supposed to relate to everyone and to shepherd and to lead everyone in general. Uh, For example, in 1 Timothy 5, the first two verses, 
He says, don't sharply, sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, the younger women as sisters in all purity. Uh, he is supposed to be involved with everyone, every group within the body of Christ. And in verse 21 of 1 Timothy 5, he says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of his chosen angels to maintain these principles without bias, doing nothing in a spirit of partiality. What does partiality mean? What's that? Yeah, favoritism, playing favorites. It means that you just default to, well, I like this person and so I'm going to give them more of a, I'm give them more credibility or I'm going to, um, you know, they're going to be the ones that's right in an argument without me even looking into it. I just, I just like this person or I'm going to show more. I'm just going to, going to want to do good to them but not to other people. He says you can't do that. You are not to do that. Timothy is told that in general his ministry focus is supposed to be, uh, it's to everyone. And so uh, this is, one side, uh, one kind of gutter to avoid is just saying, no, no, I'm only going to just kind of, kind of deal with select people within the church. But on the other side of this, he says in 2 Timothy 2.2 that Timothy is supposed to make a particular special investment in a certain group of men for the health of the church. And that doing so is not the same thing as having some kind of a cabal or a secret society where, you know, this is just Timothy going and, you know, all he does is just, uh, you know, talk to these guys and no one else means anything to him and he, you know, he doesn't believe anybody else and we're going to circle the wagons and, you know, nobody else, is, nobody else matters. This isn't it. So both sides of these things are vital. If a pastor or a teacher or a church leader in some way only cares about a few people in the church, he is not obeying the Bible. But if a pastor invests equally and indiscriminately in every person in the church and makes no concerted effort to focus upon faithful men in entrusting the truth to them, he is also not obeying the scriptures. See the balance that has to be there. This is what you want. This is what this ought to look like from a church leadership level. Because it matters that the church has this. Without this, everything goes. There needs to be this sound teaching, this sound instruction. So, what would the result of this be? What would this look like? Functionally speaking, if Timothy were to do his job, or if we do this as a church today, as we do, if we do our job, what are some of the results of this? What, how would this play out? What would this look like in the church? I wouldn't have to preach all the time. <laughs> well, I, I don't for the record, but sure. Uh, it, would, it would be increasingly easier to, for that to be the case. Sure. Yeah. Yep. Yep, church can reproduce more readily, more easily. Yeah, if you had a, uh, an abundance of qualified, uh, capable men who could teach in this way, how much easier would it be to go send someone to a, another local church without a pastor, to go plant a church without a pastor, or to do additional ministries and so on. Yeah, yeah. What else? What would this look like? Right. Uh-huh.
Yeah, so that is one thing we're already doing, this Shepherd's Institute. This is not a sales pitch, although it is pretty conveniently timed uh, for those who are interested. And, and I would, I mean, see it in light of this verse, right? There is a need for this um, in the church, to be sure. Yeah, not only that, internships, Excel, and, um, but other things. Anything that you can do, you know, um, men learning together with men. And um, look, even, even if you will never find yourself in this position, you say, well, I'm not a man. That doesn't matter. Well, how can you invest in those who are going to be this way? How can you uh, invest in young children to be faithful in their lives when they're 20 years down the road? This matters. This matters. 20 years from now, you will wish, and the church that they're in will wish that they had learned and grown to be faithful as opposed to just having to start from scratch at that time. Entrust, entrust yourself in people. Support yourself. If you are a, a wife of someone, uh, support this kind of thing. Now, again, this doesn't mean that you have to say, well, leave me and never actually see me at all. Uh, but, you know, just go and learn the word of God for six hours every night and on the weekends. And then, you know, you can call me and text me every once in a while since at least we're married. That, that's not the point. But, but it is helpful to have this. Um, speak to men who are, uh, if they're acting in an unfaithful way and they are your husband, deal with them accordingly. Make sure that you are bringing that to their attention and uh, help shape their character in the right kind of ways. So there's all kinds of things that you can do. Um, when this is the case, you will have in the church a plurality of teachers, not just one. Um, this doesn't mean there won't be differing roles in different ways. I mean, 1 Timothy 5 kind of points out some, um, some, the fact that there, there will be distinctions in how much time people can give to the labor of the word and things like that. But nonetheless, uh, you will have many who are able to teach. And the church should listen to such men should listen to other teachers. This is what's implied here as well. These are faithful men who are going to be able to teach others also. And so people wouldn't have to say, well, hey, Timothy, no, I only kind of like what, I only like what you're teaching. I don't want to learn from anybody else. And Timothy says, well, he's saying the same things. You know, he learned it from me. Where do you think that he got it? What's he, what's he about? It's the same thing. And then, of course, the result of this is that the word of God gets passed down generation after generation and that's the goal, the stream of faithful men that the church can have as a backbone, generation after generation after generation. This is what we want to see. Don't let this become the kind of place where it shines for a while and there's a fire, but then it burns out because the word of God is not held by faithful men who can teach other people also. So this is Paul's charge to Timothy, and there's a responsibility that those of us in leadership, eldership in particular, have to do this. And then there's responsibility for uh, others to step up and to be faithful, to be teachable, to be available to do this, and to grow in their ability and their willingness to pass along these things to others. Let me pray for us and we can be done. Father, thank you for this uh, time we've had this morning together. Thank you for your instructions to us. These are uh, vital things we know, but we need your grace to carry them out just as Timothy did. So please strengthen us to do this. Help us to, uh, to make this uh, make this very central in our lives and may you bless us with the ability not only to uh, entrust these things and raise up faithful men in our own church but also to be able to spread this to other places and may you be glorified as your word goes forth in jesus name we pray amen